to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding die. Chapter 4 can be found on page 977 of the Pew Bible. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of you or each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, And he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that builds itself up in love. The word of our Lord. We're breaking from our uh, normal course in Romans to focus on this glorious section on the church, given the fact that we're ordaining officers today uh, in God's church. This is an amazing section in so many ways. Uh, in Ephesians so far, Paul has been dealing with, with doctrine. That is, 
what God has done for his people. And now he turns the corner to say, now, what are we to do in light of all that he's accomplished? It's interesting that this whole section is taken up with the church. You think the church isn't critical because the very first thing Paul thinks about is how we are to be as the body of Christ. There's no way to think of yourself as a lone ranger. You and Jesus off doing something and yeah, I'll get to church whenever I feel like it. It is vital that we all are a part of his body as he sets forth here. In fact, the, the, the call, as I have the first point here, this call to unity and the foundation for unity takes up the first six verses. The call to walk worthy, notice, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. You cannot feel, fulfill that calling in isolation. You cannot fulfill it if you're not a part of Christ's body. You cannot fulfill this calling if you're disconnected from Christ's people. Being with them is essential to fulfill the calling of Christ. Walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. You see, you've been called into fellowship with God's people. That is your calling. Yes, into fellowship with God, but into fellowship with his people. If he's called you to himself, if he's made you one of his, if you have trusted in Christ, you are called into fellowship with his people, into connection with his people, into positive interaction with his people. That's your calling. You're to walk worthy of that calling, worthy of that high calling of being put into the body of Christ. And you and I have no choice in this matter. This is not up to personal decision as to whether or not you will be involved in God's people unless you want to prove that you are not called by God, period. Okay? If you want to show that I just don't belong to Christ, I'm not called by God, then separate yourself from God's people. That's your only choice. Because to walk worthy of this calling is to be in unity with the people of God. Eager, he says, verse 3, to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. How can you be eager, zealous, pursuing it, as the word means, if you separate yourself from God's people? And here in this passage is a rich tapestry of grace to live out in this community, isn't it? This tapestry of humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. And as I have in your uh, handout, the Matthew eleven twenty nine passage, here's Jesus using the same two words in reverse order. I am gentle and lowly in heart. When he calls us to humility and gentleness... It is, these are the very graces found in our Lord Jesus Christ. And the very grace of His Spirit, as He indicates in Galatians 5, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit, as are all of these. And so the very Spirit of Christ, who Himself was gentle and humble in heart, these, uh, the, this Spirit dwells in us and enables us to fulfill this. And so it's the nobility of being like your Lord. 
And in the Philippians 2 passage, in that context in which it says, in humility count others more significant than yourselves, Paul goes on to point to the Lord Jesus Christ, who did not regard equality a thing to be grasped with God, but poured himself out even to the point of death. And in that context, he says, you count one another as more important than yourself. In humility. And I've listed some passages about gentleness because that's a a trait that we may not fully understand what it means. And and hopefully some of these passages, we don't have time to go over them, but uh, you can read through those. And especially you can look at that last passage in Colossians at the bottom, how it pulls together all of these traits mentioned in Ephesians 4 and others and just gives more of the full, rich tapestry of grace That is ours. And notice then he says, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace or the bond of shalom. There is this unity of Spirit. There is this bond of wholeness that God has created because we all are indwelt by the one Spirit. We have the one Lord over us. As he goes on to lay the foundation, one body, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You see, this is what we are. This is what is, okay? It is what it is. This is the bedrock reality, these realities upon which we certainly can and will construct our unity. There is unity. And it's the capstone is one God and Father who is over all, through all, and in all. His full capacity, the glory of His life in power enriches us that we will become one. That we will have these graces that He sets forth. And so, dear, beloved people, this, this is... The, the calling is the enrichment and enablement to be this people. More and more, each one of you, not one of you thinking, well, this is for the leaders, this is for other people. Each one of you saying, I, I am called to become a part of this unity in the body of Christ. Which brings us then to the second big section, verses 7 through 16, which is the diverse gifting for this unity. It's interesting when he uses the word one up to this point, he's talking about the unity of all. But now in verse 7, when he uses one, he's talking about the individual members that make up that unity. Each one of us uh, has received grace. But as we will see, this gifting for each one of us, by the time he gets to verse 16, is for the building up of the whole body in love. So in a sense, he he ends where he begins, the overall unity and love of the body. So on the heels of underscoring this foundation of the unity, now he shows how the resurrection and exaltation of Christ result in the outpouring of gifts on the church. Obviously, this is a major purpose of the exaltation of Christ. And just as at the very beginning of talking about our responsibility, he he has the church up front. At the very beginning of the exaltation of Christ, 
It's as, almost as though Christ was exalted for this one thing. He was exalted, he ascended, and he poured out gifts. There you have it. I was like, was there more to it? Well, yeah, there's more, but you see how that emphasizes the critical nature of the gifts poured out upon the church. He ascended uh, and he poured out gifts. Now, if you'll back up to the first chapter, you see that the same emphasis on the church is there at the exaltation of Christ. You have that section right there on your sheet on the back side. Because after talking about his exaltation in verse 20, notice he's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things. In other words, he's head over all things in creation. And so he gave this head over all things to the church. Amazing. Talking about the exaltation of Christ above every name, all things are subjected over uh, under him. And this one who is the cosmic ruler, God gives to the church. It's the whole driving point of Ephesians chapter 1. The church is central to the purpose of Christ's exaltation. And when it says that he fills all things, uh, fills all in all, it means that his sovereign rule in which he brings the, uh, the fullness of God's divine life and power wherever he wishes, his sovereign rule stretches everywhere. He fills all things. As the NIV, he fills everything in every way with his presence and his power and his influence to accomplish what he wants for the sake of his people. And no one can stop him from blessing his people. That's the encouragement. He is exalted and no one can stop him from being the keeper of his church and the protector of his church, the sustainer and source of life for his church. And so in this passage that we have, it even emphasizes the fact that he defeated his enemies. You see in verse 8, when he ascended on high, he led host of, led a host of captives, defeating the spiritual forces of wickedness. And because he had defeated those enemies, nothing could stand in his way. Then he blesses his church. Now listen to this, please. If his life and death and resurrection and exaltation has as this purpose, the pouring out of gifts upon the church... Will you then neglect your own giftedness in the church? Will you neglect the call and the gracing that, I'll coin a word, the gracing that he has given you to be a contributing member of his church when it all had to be accomplished through incarnation, death, resurrection, exaltation, the defeating of his enemies, and he poured out gifts upon his church? makes you tremble. Tremble that all of this was done so that each one of you would have a vital place in this body, in his church. Nothing less than that 
had to be done in order sovereignly to bring you to this place and to equip you and enrich you with the very grace of Christ so that you would convey grace to one another. What a calling. What an accomplishment of Christ. And think if we sit on the sidelines of God's people and purposely have as little connection as possible to his people when he died and was exalted in order that you be a vital part of his people. You see, salvation is not just salvation from judgment in hell. It is salvation from being isolated, from being alone from being someone who is not vitally joined to the people of God. And if you're not vitally joined, and I know it is difficult sometimes. We all have various issues, and and church is not easy. Church is hard. Unity is hard. Fellowship is hard. Just like marriage is hard. Anybody here married says, it's as easy as pie. (laughs) Me either. (laughs) Okay. And the closer we are to one another, the more we are involved in one another's lives, the harder it gets. Not easier, the harder it gets. As I've said many times, the only reason I've never had an argument with any woman here is I don't live with any woman here except one. And the closer we are to one another, the more difficult it would be. But that is our calling. The critical purpose of Christ's death and resurrection. And then in verse 11, he begins to talk about the particular gifts of leadership. Now, this doesn't cast aside what he says in verse 7. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. But in verse 11, he's uh, specifying some of them and showing the uh, special significance of these leaders in, in teaching. But all have received personal grace to be ministered within the body. <clears throat> and so, you'll, as we'll see, as you go through his, uh, beginning with verse 11, giving these uh, leaders to equip the saints, probably the best interpretation, though it could go either way, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, so that each of you is to be equipped and is being equipped equipped for the work of ministry. Um, And then also at the end when it talks about each particular part, verse 16, uh, is working properly and the the body is uh, building itself up in love. But I want to point out that this grace, these leaders, this teaching and unity has as its final end in view the building up of the body in Christ. And it's interesting that it's our diversity that brings about the unity. It's our diversity and differences that brings about the strength of our unity. It's like a city or or a town. Imagine a city of a million people. Think how many different people are doing different things for each other in a city of a million people. And you have to have them all to make that city. Think of a city of a million plumbers. What are they going to do? You know, (laughs) a million mail carriers, a million veterinarians, a million bank tellers, a million sales clerks in the men's department. Okay, 
a million truck drivers, a million CPAs. You have to have diversity for unity. And so we must appreciate and embrace the rich differences and variety that we have. That's our strength for unity. It's not cause for disunity. It's our strength for unity. Why we're interdependent. Why we obviously need each other. And that's why the point in verse 16, notice, the whole body is drawing life from Christ. It's held together by what? Every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Dear friend, every one of you, you are essential to this process. No one is to be left out of this process. And just looking at the passage as a whole, I just want to emphasize these things that I have listed. There is the emphasis on oneness. You see it, of course, in the first six verses. You see it in verse 12 when he says, uh, for the building up of the body of Christ. You see, as a whole, we're to be built up as the body. Verse 13 talks about unity of faith and knowledge. It says we're to be built up into a mature man. We talked about this recently. It, it's like we're regarded, personified as one person being built up. The whole body as one man, one person being built up together. That's how much it stresses the oneness. And in verse 15, all together we're to grow up into Christ. All, and then the whole body is to grow so that it builds itself up in love. And yet there's the emphasis on the individual. As we showed in verse 7, each one has gifts. There are the variety of gifts, verse 11, and the variety of working in verse 16. And so there's oneness and diversity, and, and the diversity is essential for the oneness. I also want to underscore this. The emphasis on sound doctrine in this passage. We tend to think it, all that matters is how we love each other. All that matters is that we do the right thing for each other. But sound doctrine is critical in this passage. You cannot think of unity apart from proper teaching, biblical teaching, that is faithful to the Word of God. And that's why in verse 13 he says... We're to attain unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. That's our unity. It's unity in what we believe about Christ, what the Scripture teaches about Christ. To trust and be committed to and to live out this truth. And verse 14 says that we're to be fixed in this truth so that we're resistant to heresy. We're resistant to false teaching and aberrant ideas. We're to speak in love, verse 15, but to speak the truth in love. And in one sense, it can't be love unless it's the truth. Speaking the truth in love. And then the emphasis, obviously, on love. All of this talk of teaching, ministry, building up the body, doctrinal stability, speaking the truth, all of this mutual ministry of God's truth given to one another has this final goal. It is love. 
It is the necessary, unfailing end of the truth rightly believed and rightly lived out. When the gospel is enfleshed in our lives, it will result in love, as this passage indicates. And so those things are woven together completely, inextricably, excellent, proper, truthful, uh, 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 accurate teaching of the truth, and the result being a life of love, a body being built up in love. And that's why in our vision statement, nurturing a joy for loving God and loving people by proclaiming believing and living out the gospel of Jesus Christ, which earlier in Ephesians and other places, he says the gospel is the truth. So proclaiming and living out that truth to the, so that we end up loving God and loving others. And finally, the emphasis on Christ. Everything is about Christ. Grace is given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He ascended on high. He led hosts of captives. He gave gifts to men. He ascended far above all the heavens. He fills all things. He gives apostles and prophets and the like. The body is the body of Christ. It is the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Growing up into the head who is Christ. And it's from Christ that the whole body receives its life. And each one with that life of Christ contributes its part to build the body up in love. He is the life of each one of us. He is the life of the whole. It is all about Christ. And so, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. We have these men given today as gifts of Christ to His church... But each one of you has received grace from the exalted Christ so that you will play a part in what Paul describes in verse 16. His life is in us. We are called in chapter 1 the fullness of Christ. Can you believe that? If he fills us, how can we not be his fullness? How can we not be brimming over with grace as a body? How can we not be manifesting his truth and love to one another and to the world? And so I just mentioned these last three applications. Grow, grow. Take responsibility, each one of you, to say, I am going to explore Christ to the full I'm going to know the letters of Paul. I'm going to know these Gospels. I'm going to find and know my precious Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to grow up in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. I won't have a show of hands, but maybe that's what we need. Who will commit your whole life to not, not to wait for anyone, but you will be committed. I'm going to grow into the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. And secondly, know that you've been graced. You, I could name each one of you, you to be used of God in the lives of others in His church. Specific grace for specific ministry and specific building up of others. Would you fly in an airplane when the guys put the engines back together and there are 49 parts leaving, sitting on the runway? Would you get onto that plane? No. Because you know every part is essential You 
are essential. Your grace is essential for us. And so believe that. Give yourself up to Christ to be an instrument in His hand. Begin to talk with others how you can be used in His body. Find out how to be involved in His church. And let us all expect His grace in our church. Let us fix our hope in His resurrection and exaltation. He is exalted above all else in order to bless His church. Let us believe that. Let us pray that way, expecting when we pray for worship, we pray for ministry, we pray for fellowship, we pray for any aspect of our church, always pray to the exalted Christ who has defeated all of his enemies and who pours out grace upon his church, unhindered, unhindered, except by our unbelief. May we believe Him and expect great things from our Lord Jesus. Let us pray. O Lord, we praise Your great name that You have died for Your church, as Paul says later in Ephesians, that You have given Yourself up for her, that You might sanctify her and cleanse her, that You might present Your people to yourself in splendor in that final day without spot or wrinkle. Thank you that we are your body. We belong to you. Your life is in us. Your spirit fills us. Lord, we praise you that in your death you have paid for our sins, that we can have forgiveness through you, that united to you we are accepted before the Father. We have his, his favor, unmixed favor, Always, in every situation, His favor is upon us. No, Lord, Your favor is upon Your church as a whole, and You have been exalted to pour out the rich graces and gifts upon Your people so that we can minister to one another and become a glorious island of unity in this dark world. Oh, Lord, we have so far to go. Each one of us has so many issues and problems we all are sinners. We all are, are, are vessels of clay. We all are weak and frail. Lord, save us. Fulfill your exalted work to bless your people and to make us like yourself, to make us one even as the Father and the Son are one. You pray for this, Lord. It is your intercession to make us one even as the Father and Son are one. Bless us with everything and remove all obstacles continually and progressively in this body so that instead of the old 80% of the, 20% of the people do 80% of the work, Lord, may it be 100% involvement, 100% connection, 100% giving ourselves up to Christ to be instruments in His body. May we, by your grace, walk worthy of the calling with which we've been called. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. 
Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain. Break radiant through the shades of night and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?